in my mind, I was this person. I was this really fast runner. I was going to be this elite athlete and I was this X Games queen. And I just, you know, I had everything going on. And that's in my mind, I had, that's where I, that's where I had to be or it wasn't good enough. And so as I run this race and realize that's not happening, it's hard to come to grips with, with your own failure in that way and to face yourself. And in my mind, I'm still, I'm, I'm still this great thing that I think is important. What happens when something you've loved for as long as you can remember becomes the thing that shatters you? What if your personal breakdown becomes entangled with a national heartbreak? If sport brings you to your knees, can it also be what heals you? Welcome to Wild Why, the podcast that explores the reasons people seek adventure, challenge, and healing in the outdoors. A native of Canada, Shandy can't remember a life without running. My mom has told me that she would just let me into the backyard and I would just run in laps like a track, which is really silly to think about for a child. And they might run in squiggly lines or whatever, but I was just running in laps. I don't know. And it's kind of actually embarrassing to think about. <laughs> what was I doing? Didn't was there something else I could have done? Run in circles, literally? That's lame. Even as a child, Shandy never showed up on race day satisfied just to participate. She lined up to compete. Her talent eventually earned her a scholarship to BYU in Provo, Utah, where she described her experience as both awesome and terrifying. Years later, she still has mixed feelings about her collegiate running career, but it certainly laid the foundation, both good and bad, for how she motivated herself and how she would come to view success in the sport. The excitement was always enmeshed with fear and anxiety. When she landed her dream job at ESPN after graduating, it was running that offered her solace from the stress of long workdays and living in a place she hated. In 2010, she ran the New York Marathon for the first time. She ran it again in 2011 and qualified for every runner's dream, the Boston Marathon, with an impressive time of three hours and 12 minutes. It's so silly to think about, to think about this goal now because, um, well, I wanted to break three hours. Um, and I wanted to break three hours because that would qualify me as an elite status runner. And at the time, that felt really important to me. I think um, just everything that I had going on with work and going through that breakup and hard time, um, that's how I defined myself was, you know, X Games person and fast marathon runner. And that's how everyone around me identified me, too. You know, all my friends in my running community and circle were really excited about how fast I had run. It kind of, I think, went to my head a little bit. She hired a coach about the same time she earned a promotion at ESPN. Instead of being her safe place, running became just another task on her high-pressure to-do list. I had, had I hired a coach, and he was training me twice a day. And in the beginning of the training, I had some really weird diets. I think that really messed me up. And I think those weird diets combined with two times of training a day combined with oftentimes 14-hour days at work with all the expansion and stuff that was going on. And then, you know, on top of that all, just like in your head, trying to define yourself as something and constantly having to live up to whatever you think matters to you and who you are, I think that's that's what really did me in. And so I was kind of blind to the fact that I could sit at my laptop and watch the words float off the screen, you know, and break out break out in like hives and rashes on my face and not be sleeping for weeks you know turning into months 
and still think that I like should go forward with this and that I was doing awesome and that I was, you know, this awesome person. I had to get all these goals. Training twice a day, weird diets, and a job with the largest sports broadcasting company in the world. It's no surprise that Shandy didn't reach her goal of running 26.2 miles in under three hours. About mile 14, she realized her goal was gone. And then it became 10 miles of wallowing in despair. Probably mile 14, I knew it was coming apart. Um, I mean, if I look back, I probably would have known way earlier than that. But yeah, the race was, it was awful. And I was definitely um, in my head about all of it, but also not really there because it's kind of an out-of-body experience at that point with all the stress that had gone uh, that had gone on uh, leading up to this moment. And yeah, the, the, the race was miserable. <laughs> it just sucked. And around mile 14, I think I knew it was just over. I just wasn't, I, I don't know why I thought I could be doing that, honestly. It's weird how the, you know, retrospect works. But yeah, it was, it was a really bad race. And I would even say just pathetic performance for me, mostly because, um, of how I responded to it. But something was happening in her mind and body that made it impossible for Shandy to retain any kind of normal perspective on her failure. What she didn't realize is that at the same time her personal world was coming unraveled, two bombs left among spectators near the finish line were exploding, killing three people, including an eight-year-old child, and forever changing the country's most iconic race. So I crossed the finish line... And then my body just starts, I guess, revolting at me. And it had started kind of through the race, too. I know my foot went numb for, like, probably 15 miles. Um, and I don't remember a lot of the race. I think just we found out later due to the high cortisol levels. So, But, yeah, I, I essentially started to experience a nervous breakdown. And um, some medical people found me, put me in a wheelchair, and put me into the tent, and then... What do you mean they found you? Where were you? I was just walking along in pain, I think, and I asked someone to untie my shoe because my feet were really throbbing, and I think they just, I don't know, they just noticed how I was, and they said that I needed to go into the medical tent, and so I did. And then I was in there for probably an hour, just laying on the bed and, like, literally screaming in pain, just felt like every limb was kind of, like, exploding and I had five nurses each one was on a limb and then one was above my head like holding my hands and yeah it was it was awful it was really miserable I think the nurses were just trying to calm me down I remember asking them talking to them about how bad I was at running or just how miserable I had done that day and um just self-loathing really and just about my race and yada yada and then you know the first bomb goes off and everyone's kind of like what is that and my nurses just tell me to breathe you know because I'm hyperventilating in pain and then the second bomb goes off and um yeah just everyone's just kind of struck you know everyone's looking around there's not really any answers and my nurse is just over my head and she's holding my hands and just like in the midst of my shaking and screaming and hyperventilating and these bombs going off, she looks at me and just gets me to focus on her and breathing. And, um, yeah, then it was 
probably 40 minutes later, or at some point, I don't know, it's all kind of a blur, um, a voice came over and said, um, we need you to get your cots. We need, we, need, we need to get your people out. We need cots for the injured. And I'm just like, you know, I don't really know. <laughs> injured people? I, I don't know. Like, here I am just, like, feeling sorry for myself. And so, yeah, my dad was, was there with me, and they took me over to him. We got dressed. We went out. And, yeah, and then it was just madness. Eventually, Shandy and her father left the tent and headed to where families were supposed to rendezvous with runners. She planned to meet friends who'd come to support her. Yeah, so we go to find my friends, and um, they're all crying, and I am obviously still crying about my race, and I don't, we don't understand what's going on yet. There's just a lot of sirens, and I reach them, and they're all in tears, and they, they're like, go on Facebook and tell everyone you're okay. And I'm like, why would I do that? That's so embarrassing. I'm so, I'm so bad. And, but I did it anyway. Um, and, and then I think it starts to kind of set in there. I think we realize we get some texts or there's news and someone says something about the bombs. And that's when, um, my dad gets this weird text and we think that my stepmom is dead. We thought that she was where the second bomb went off. So, it was really, it's just confusing. I think that's where you start to feel traumatized a little bit. And my friends left and my dad and I um, started wandering around because the city was starting to go on into lockdown. And so we are going into different hotels and buildings and, you know, the cops are telling us to run one way and then we're going the other way and they start yelling us to run the other way. So Eventually, the only building that we didn't get kicked out of was the train station, and so we sat there, I think, till about 8 p.m. As they wandered, looking for a safe place to rendezvous with her stepmom, people approached them, offering food or juice. They kept moving, somewhat aware of the tragedy developing, somewhat still consumed by her personal crisis. When the fullness of what happened in Boston hit Shandy, she couldn't contain her grief. We went into a hotel room that's kind of attached to the mall there, and we were just sitting in a like, conference room, I think. We're all just kind of sitting in this circle. And uh, I, think I, I think I start to realize that something else is wrong. At some point, they head to the train station. And it seems to be a place where everyone is waiting. Waiting for news. Waiting for loved ones. Waiting for a ride. It's there that she overhears a nurse lamenting her own loss. Yeah, we were just sitting there in the train station and everyone's kind of it's kind of gloomy sitting in there and um there's a nurse nearby and I hear her on the phone and she's crying and she says to the other person well he was just eight years old and he died on the table in front of me and so obviously this is Martin Richard and um so I went over and put my arm around her and gave her a hug and just sat there for a little bit you know because what else can you do Martin Richard was just eight years old when he stood with his family, waiting to cheer his father across the finish line when a bomb exploded near them. A photo of him holding a sign he'd made saying, no more hurting people, peace, became a symbol of healing for runners around the world. Also killed in the bombing were 29-year-old Crystal Campbell and 23-year-old Lou Lingzi. MIT campus police officer Sean Collier, just 26 years old, was shot and killed in his patrol car by the brothers who made and placed the bombs and then led police on a manhunt that terrorized the city for days. 
While the country grappled with the anger, sadness, and vulnerability associated with a terrorist attack on one of its most beloved sporting events, Shandy was about to deal with a personal reckoning a decade in the making. After this short break, Shandy has to leave the life she's built in order to save herself. WildY is supported by businesses that understand what motivates people to seek adventure, challenge, and healing in outdoor experiences. Shandy's story is made possible today by our partners at utahrunning.com, Deseret News Marathon, and Salt Lake Marathon. You can find out more about them and their support of this podcast and runners and the outdoor community by going to their websites or ours, and you can find that information at loudmouthproject.com. We at the Loudmouth Project want to thank Steve Bingham Hawk and the Salt Lake Marathon for supporting the Salt Lake chapter of Team Red, White, and Blue by allowing them to run the marathon course as a relay. Instead of handing off a baton from runner to runner, they pass a flag, and they don't leave anyone behind. They collect runners as they navigate the course, and when a team of about 40 runners finally crosses the finish line, it's something special to see. The crowd was fairly thinned out with the runners, and then all of a sudden I look down and I see this massive blob of red coming our way, and I'm like, my God, that's them. And uh, so, so Christy, our volunteer director, and Jen, our marketing director, we all run up there to come see them, and... Uh, it was incredible. I mean, I was looking at everybody. Carter's crying. Jen's crying. <laughs> Everybody's crying. And uh, and then this this and then what was great is the entire group, the entire event focused back on the finish line at that point, and was watching this happen. And and people are asking, "Who's that? What's this group?" And so all it sort of had this ripple effect, and everyone's starting to talk about what they do and. Steve said it was a mission of Team Red, White, and Blue, which is to enrich the lives of veterans through physical, social, and service opportunities that moved him to offer the team a one-of-a-kind opportunity. I, I love the mission of Team RWB. I think that every, every you know, I wish everybody had a Team RWB, and they can if they yeah. join, because, uh, you know, we all need to be banding together in, in this world that is continually divisive and and rooted in, in digital, which is disconnecting us all. The Salt Lake Marathon is the largest team event Team Red, White, and Blue offers its members. It's a chance for them to run for those who've served and to honor those lost in service to this country. So to Steve, Salt Lake Marathon, and to all of our veterans, thank you. After Boston, Shandy returned to Connecticut with plans to resume her intense schedule. It was on a training run for the New England Ragnar when she realized something was terribly wrong. I was going to do a Ragnar a couple weeks after, you know, just <laughs> don't stop. Um, and uh, the like the air against my skin as I was running felt painful and loud. And the music I was listening to was just it was like making me crazy. And um, when I saw the first one of the first doctors I saw, she did a few tests and noted that my nervous system was kind of on the brink. And looking back now, I realize that those things are just obvious signs of overstimulation, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, my body, I hadn't slept really in eight months on my own or in any sort of nice circadian rhythm at all. It was 
you know, I think I was most awake at 10 p.m., weird stuff like that. Adrenal fatigue, really, just all the symptoms of adrenal fatigue and too much stress. A couple of days later, it would become clear. She couldn't just jump back into her life. She was at work when her boss asked her to do something so mundane she can't even remember what it was. I mean, I don't know how to describe it. I just was having so many allergic reaction type things going on in my body and definitely not thinking right. And my boss, a few days after this all goes down, he hands me a sheet of paper with some things he wants me to do. And I don't know what happens, but I snap and I crinkle it up and I throw it at him and tell him that this doesn't matter and people are dying. And so he, you know, tried to calm me down and took me outside for a walk. And yeah, and then, you know, I I went on to a medical leave after that. Her therapist told her she needed to take a medical leave of absence. She agreed, thinking a vacation sounded pretty nice. Within a few days, she realized that true healing would take a lot more time and patience than she'd anticipated. So my medical leave, I was like, oh, nice, like a couple weeks of vacation, just going to chill. Maybe I'll go on this trip with my friends. (laughs) Um, But yeah, and then I had found a psychologist and spending a couple days with her. I I had a couple days with her each week. And I, I think... You know, you talk about layers of an onion, and I was, like, barely peeling, you know, the first crappy layer of the onion, the onion paper, the crunchy stuff, whatever. It just, yeah, I realized at the end of that two weeks that I, you know, things were just beginning. And so she put in for another month, and it ended up being six months total. Like a lot of us, Shandy's identity had come from her professional successes. Even as she realized that her life depended on taking time to heal, she grappled with the fear of losing all she'd worked for. At the same time, she didn't feel like she had any choice. Shandy said it took months for her to feel like a semblance of herself. Not the ESPN rising star, not the competitive athlete, just who she was underneath all those labels. So I went on the medical leave at the end of April, and it had been probably a month of just me going to yoga every morning and breathing and eating avocados because they say they coat your nervous system and working with a neurologist and working with my psychologist. Um, But yeah, I came home from yoga one day and it was just laying on the grass. And, you know, this whole time, you know, before Boston up to now, you're just, the anxiety is living its own life inside of you. And in your brain, there's just constant chatter and, just other directions and you don't really know where you are and you know you're always questioning am I going to get better is this going to go away and there was this one day I I think it was a month later that I was just laying outside on the grass and I remember hearing birds for the first time and like recognizing I'm hearing something that's happening right now and it was this feeling of like I'm present now and so I I know I'm going to be okay I remember, like, it was July, so several months later, that I recognized my own thought that came from me organically. And I was laying in a hammock with a friend, and I thought about, um, I think it was emailing my cousin. And I thought, wow, this is, this came from me. Like, these were just small glimpses of, like, I'm here, you know? And the work I'm doing is good, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna find myself again. Then life threw another curveball at her. About a month before she was scheduled to return to work at ESPN, they announced massive layoffs. 
my medical leave lasted for six months. And at the end of that six months, my doctor was like, you know, obviously I'd, I had come a long way and I was, I knew how to, I think, work with myself. And um, he said I was okay to go back to work. And um, the day he told me that, I got an email from my boss and said, hey, I know you're on a leave. And technically they're not supposed to reach out to you. But he said, can you call me? And that day I was walking around the West Hartford Reservoir barefoot in the rain, you know, just trying to feel my roots. And um, I called him and he said our entire department was getting laid off and that X Games Global was basically, it was done. And so since we had all been shifted from one P&L to the global one, we were all getting laid off. And, you know, he said you can come into the office and you have until January. And this was October. And he said you have until January um, to find other jobs in the organization. And, you know, they're going to keep a couple of you guys. Um, so come in and, and see what you can do about that. Um, and in that time, I had a friend had bought me a ticket to come back to Utah to snowboard and do the things that I really love. And um, that was in, you know, being here during that time was kind of a, you know, my aunt asked me, well, why don't you just stay here until you figure things out? And it is so simple, but it made so much sense to me finally then. You know, I think everything else had settled in the place for her to say, why don't you just stay here until you figure things out? And so it was obvious, and I went back to Connecticut and packed that week and put my, you know, lease up. And yeah, so I, you know, to answer like why I was open, I think it just, everything pointed that way. You know, my doctors had even told me during healing, you can go and you need to go outside and you need to look at the trees and you need to be in nature and you need to put your feet on the grass. And, um, you know, snowboarding was always this thing that was active, which I, I loved and needed, but was outside, and it was never for anything but fun. Shandy hated living in Bristol, and she wasn't sure what she should do. Then a friend suggested a visit to Shandyland, which is what she calls the Mountains of Utah. Her friend thought a visit to the mountains might help her find clarity. She stayed with a friend in Seattle for a couple of weeks, and then she spent two weeks in Utah snowboarding. In Utah's outdoor community, she found people whose care and affection began to cause a permanent change in her heart and her mind. I think Utah was so important to me because, one, I could snowboard every day, and the people that I was snowboarding with are just kind of people that accept you for who you are. And I really didn't want to be anyone important anymore at that point. I just wanted to lay low, be part of the group, just, you know, just kind of be under the scenes, I think, and, you know, the great people at Snowbird just love everyone and they accept you as you are. And that's where I just found all the, all the peace I needed. And, um, and then, yeah, I started, it started running again, but it was on the trails. Uh, and I didn't, I didn't wear a watch anymore. I had thrown it away and I threw away all my stupid heart rate monitors. And I wasn't really listening to any guidance except for that, what, whatever was coming from me. And I spent so much time just being outside and being quiet that it was easier to get to what I really needed at that, at that time. Shandy had run well enough to be invited back to the Boston Marathon the following year. She knew she had to go, but she also felt an uncontrollable fear every time she contemplated training. The anxiety going into that 2014 race was just so incredible that instead of running, I did just snowboard. And a couple weeks before, I made sure I could run 20 miles and then... 
you know, that race was just incredibly cathartic. Totally different experience. Why even go back to the race that shattered her body and her mind? I think because at that point I had had a full year to realize why I ever ran to begin with, you know? And so going back without the agenda or pressure or goals or an alter ego, I think um, it just helped me. Well, my goal was really to just be there for the experience and to take in what the city was giving to all of us and what we were giving back to the city. And so it was just really magical to be a part of that. And it was weird, but like every single step was just like a part of healing. And when it was done, I just can't. It's really hard to describe the way it feels to have weight lifted. You know, something that's not tangible. And I felt like, (laughs) I remember the moment when the race was over, just feeling like, wow, like, now I can resume my life. In addition to defeating her own demons, finishing the 2014 Boston Marathon gave Shandy the chance to grieve those lost in the 2013 race in her own way. So at mile 25, I had a friend meet me um, with three roses, and I crossed the finish line with a rose for each of the victims from 2013. I guess the best thing to say about that race is you just realize that life is so much bigger than just you. And I think those roses, for me, help symbolize just being there for a bigger purpose. Some might wonder why Shandy even returned to running. I feel like that's the question that any runner gets, which is, why do you run? Yeah. <laughs> and it's so different for everyone, and I don't know that I can. I just know that I am better with it. And I'm not as happy without it. This might be a good time for a break. If you support what we're doing here at Wild Why, we ask that you support the businesses and the organizations who make this possible. Hi, I'm Amy Donaldson. And I'm Jason Lee. Listen to our free podcast, Voices of Reason, unless you enjoy screaming matches. Nope, you're not going to hear that with us. You'll hear folks who may disagree, but seek to understand different views. That's Voices of Reason on the KSL Radio app or wherever you find interesting podcasts. The truth is, just about everything changed for Shandy after that 2014 race. So after Boston, I started working again. I went into freelancing so I could kind of control my own schedule. And um, it's been treating me really well. It's been awesome. I was able to start running a little harder in the mountains, you know, um, kind of a clean palette, I guess. And I even raced. And I just, you know, it just became a love again. I fell in love all over again, I guess you could say. I even won one of the ultra marathons, um, one of my favorite races. And... um, I I think, though, even with, you know, just all the happiness and joy that I was getting from trail running, you know, and if you're a marathoner, you'll know that there's just something really special about the way it feels to, I don't even, I guess the way it feels to be light on your feet and consistent on the road. You know, it's really, it's so different from trail running. Um, And for me, it's just, it's been special. That's what I did my whole life. And so... I I guess it's just the same way I knew I had to go back to Boston. I knew at some point I would want to go back to a road marathon um, because I missed that feeling, I think. 
Even as she cherished her time and experiences in the mountains, Shandy felt the pull of road racing. Before it all fell apart, it was a source of great joy, of friendship, of self-discovery, and of self-mastery. Every fall, she'd watch the New York Marathon, and every spring, the Boston Marathon. And she always wondered, in the back of her mind, should I sign up? Last year, she felt the time was right. Here I am, like, feeling healthy and everything, but I know that I'm not going to just go do a road marathon to do a road marathon. That's not how I roll, and I've learned to accept that that part of me is competitive, and that's okay. But the the good part about that is, is that it doesn't matter now how well I perform. Um, of course, it would be nice to run well and run better than ever and all that, but I think it, it's hard to describe the type of anxiety that I felt going into that. I don't want to say it was similar to what was going on with Boston, but I will say that it definitely felt triggered that way. Um, and I also felt like I didn't just want to go back for me. I wanted to go back for a good reason. And, and, and so I found the Martin Richard Foundation, which was just, it was obvious to me that that was the right thing to do, was to raise money for this charity as I ran and to help give a good purpose. You know, I didn't want to, like I said, it just wasn't about me anymore. She signed up for the New York Marathon, and once again, she hired a coach. But this time, she thought someone who had a plan and a philosophy that would allow her to embrace her competitive desires while keeping perspective. In addition to a new training mindset, Shandy looked for a charity that would allow her to run for more than a satisfying time. The first one she found was Team MR8, a foundation that honors the life of Martin Richard by providing opportunities for young people to grow through community engagement and volunteerism. The charity's number one goal is to promote kindness. Shandy's new coach helped her assess her body's needs and abilities every week without feeling like a failure after bad workouts. Everything was tailored to her specific needs, her specific goals. Shandy took the advice from her coach, married it with information from her psychologist, and affirmations from a friend. Over time, as trust built, she learned how to push herself competitively while retaining her joy for the sport. When she had a bad training day, she and her coach discussed it. And then he told her, forget it, move on. Slowly, his acceptance of her allowed her to accept herself. She was filled with excitement, anticipation, and her mountain legs slimmed down for road running. As much as she loves the mountains, she feels at home racing on the road. What that means for the future, she doesn't worry about right now. For now, she is just grateful that her desire to raise money for Team MR8 feels as important as running fast. She's filled with gratitude because she knows not everyone gets a chance at reconciliation. Shandy went back to the New York Marathon and ran it in 3 hours and 13 minutes. It was an awesome day. I think I... Sorry. I probably had been dreaming about this day for a long time. And I think the reason this race was so important to me was because the last time I had run it, when I ran that qualifying race, I realized it was the last time that I was happy when I was running. And when running was fun. And I think that's why, you know, New York in particular was important to me. Um, you know, everyone envisions that perfect marathon day in the fall. and You know, it's like 50 degrees and blue skies and leaves are out there. And that's what it was. It was just perfect. Um, 
And I literally ran the exact same race that I ran in 2011, six seconds slower, (laughs) which is funny to me, but also perfect because I don't know. I just kind of, I feel like I came full circle. And I, I came back to where I was originally, I think in terms of like being happy But I came back like with new eyes and a bigger perspective. Maybe that's her way forward to a life where she can embrace all aspects of herself. We think of focus as a good thing, but sometimes desire wraps itself around commitment and drags us down an unhealthy path, a path that takes us far away from what we love and sometimes who we are. Finding your way back can be a painful reckoning. Shandy found her way back to a life that includes all of her passions because she realized one really important reality. If you want good things to happen, you have to make them happen. That's because life is a mixed bag. It's a collection of sorrow, monotony, and miracles. Finding our place, our passion in this complex mixture, it can be difficult. I think just in the healing process after Boston, like, I always question if I was going to get better, if I was going to be who I knew I could be and knew I was inside. And anyone who's gone through any sort of mental challenge like that or, you know, mental health challenges or just, you know, a prolonged period of time where you're really struggling with your life, I think there's always times where you can give up. And there's always times where you feel like you're deciding who you want to be and where where you want to be and I feel like I just knew that I wanted to be healthy and happy and I wanted to love running and I wanted to feel light again and so I just had to go make that happen you know I guess it's like you said or like I said <laughs> if you want to make if you want good things to happen you just you got to go make them happen and that's what I wanted and so I feel incredibly proud that I did that and you know to top it off to have run well and to have felt good and stayed healthy um yeah I mean I just I feel super proud of myself and also proud of the fact that I can actually sit here and say I feel proud of myself you know the old me or the me back in the x games days didn't have the capacity to appreciate what I could do or what I was doing or you know anything like that so that I can you know, give that to myself also feels good. And it isn't so much that what we love shatters or saves us as much as it is how we love and how we view life's challenges as well as its gifts. And maybe the most important lesson to be learned from Shandy's journey is that the decision to keep loving the good stuff, the hard stuff, the humiliating stuff, and most of all, the imperfection of us, that may be what actually heals us. Thank you for listening to Wild Why. If you have a story about how outdoor sports shaped or transformed you or someone you know, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at tips at loudmouthproject.com or find us on Instagram and Twitter at wildy1. You can email me directly at amy.donaldson at loudmouthproject.com. 
And you can find this podcast on Apple, Google, and the KSL app, and pretty much anywhere else you find great podcasts. Thank you for listening, and remember, not all who wander are lost. Now it's time to go inside the training room. This is where you'll find advice, information, and sometimes inspiration that will help you get fitter, faster, and stronger. This segment is something we do in partnership with utahrunning.com. Their goal is to help you reach your goals. Welcome to Inside the Training Room. This is a feature that I'm super excited about because it's for people who want to take their running or their cycling or their hiking or whatever to the next level. So um, I'm super excited to partner with utahrunning.com for this. Uh, Janae Richardson, who who started utahrunning.com, right? Yeah, I'm happy baby. to be here. Yeah. yeah. So they're, they're going to team up with us and you'll hear this feature at the end of every podcast. And uh, we're going to take you inside the training room. We're going to take you inside the mindset, uh, the nutritional aspects of of performance and endurance sports, and then also, um, you know, actual strategy for getting faster, getting fitter, getting stronger. Exactly. Yeah. And just tell me a little bit about utahrunning.com and yourself and how that came to be. Yeah, just just real quick, I'll give you a background. So I'm Janae Richardson. My husband, Ken, and I started Utah Running. Back in 2009, I think it was, um, we you know, ran in college, ran at Weber State University, and just wanted to continue to live our passion. And so that's what it was. It was just kind of a side thing for us, and it's just evolved into more than just a website, but a resource for runners. We have a race calendar. We have some racing teams and a statewide running club. Oh, and we just added a shop, a Utah running shop in Ogden, Utah, a, a brick-and-mortar location. So... Um, it's evolved over time, but it's all been really fun and we've loved it. So today we're going to talk about one of my favorite subjects. Liar. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> Total liar. Uh, do you need a speed workout? And, uh, so if you're training for anything, uh, whether that be a 5k or a hundred miler, right. do speed workouts actually help runners? Yeah. Yeah. I was excited to talk about this. Um, I think that we all get out there running and we want to be, um, fit and we want to be strong Um, you know, a lot of it is we do it just to stay sane, but I think deep down, we all would like to see progress in our running. And so the reason why speed work is beneficial is that it it forces our body to adapt. Mm -hmm. You know, our bodies are really good at becoming efficient at what we're doing. Our bodies are smart. Yeah. And so we find the path of least resistance, our bodies figure it out. So if you go out and you run the same pace every day, Great, but you're going to at some point same stop seeing same course, yeah, <laughs> same loop, uh, yeah. and then you just don't see yourself take it to the next level at all. Yeah. Um, and so that can be, a, that could be, you know, someone who's running 12-minute miles, or that could be someone who's running 5-minute miles. Mm-hmm. Um, no matter where you are on that spectrum, you want to see some progress, and adding a little bit of speed work can do that for you. So what does a speed workout look like? Yeah, so there's a variety, right? Like, if you're if you're talking about true speed work, um, you're talking about running really fast with long rest in between those intervals, um, and that's getting you like that's like your true speed, right? But we kind of label all types of interval sessions or faster pace work as speed work, and that's fine. Um, but yeah, it could be speed work could be like uh, just one example, maybe some 400 meter repeats. Mm-hmm. So you go out and you run one lap on a track, 400 meters, and then you rest 
the equal amount of, of time that it took you to run that. So it takes you three minutes to run a 400 meter at your <laughs> fastest pace. Then you rest three minutes. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And you do that several times mm-hmm. and that's going to, that's going to work a, a specific energy pathway in your body. Okay. Mm-hmm. But then if you go and you do like two to four miles at like a comfortably hard effort, so significantly slower than what you did those 400s in, mm-hmm. that's more threshold work. That's more going to work a different um, energy pathway of your body. And so there is a variety of ways to pull it in. And, and that's kind of what we're trying to do with Utah Running Club is give people captains at each hub that are um, with, in direct communication with me and then I give them the workout and explain this is how you facilitate it. Um, and not every run we do is a workout, and people don't yeah. have to come and do workouts. No, if some they of don't the runs to. are just running around. Yeah, Liberty just a Park social run. run. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. But um, we are trying to give people structure and information mm-hmm. on how to do these speed work sessions because they are beneficial. The other thing I really like about speed work is just that, like, it just teaches your body to to push yourself to a new to new potential and. Um, you find out what you're made of. Yeah. You know? And yeah. I really like that about running. And I think a lot of us do it for that reason is um, we want to we wanna push ourselves to our limits and see what our potential is. And it helps us find that potential and bring it out in ourselves. And it training. can build your confidence. You nail yeah. something like that, you're like, hey, I can do anything, you yeah, know? maybe I'm not training for Boston, but, you right. know, maybe next time I run a 5K, I don't take my dog and my kids and I see how fast I can run. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. So thank you so much. I'm super excited about this. You can hear Inside the Training Room uh, at the end of every wild ride. Yeah, thanks, Amy, for having me.